Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and we meet the person behind the reputation. My name is Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Hello Carson, who's our next guest? If you think things just aren't working at your workplace, you seem to hit brick walls at every turn, it may be because of the UGRs that lurk just below the surface. Someone who has had their focus for many years on what makes a workplace work... And what gets in the way of this is our next guest. With decades of learnings and teaching about customer service, with a greater focus on culture than any yogurt producer, <laughs> our next guest is Steve Simpson. <laughs> there you go. Do you like that, Steve? Oh, that's a first. Never been introduced that way. <laughs> oh, good. I wrote that. Sorry, Carson. <laughs> now, Steve, UGRs, I'm trying to think. Unwanted grey hairs. <laughs> what, what, the, let's jump into UGRs and then we'll go back in time. Yeah, well, I've got a few of those unwanted grey hairs. I never thought about that. Unwritten grand rules, uh, UGRs, people's perceptions of this is the way we do things around here. So that can include things like uh, at our meetings it isn't worth complaining because we know nothing will get done. Mm -hmm. The only time anyone gets spoken to by the boss is when something is wrong and so on. These drive people's behaviours but they're seldom if ever talked about openly and it's the UGRs that are your workplace culture. Beautiful opening gambit and we'll dig deeper into that a little later on but take us back what were your early career moves? Uh, I was a teacher originally a primary school teacher went off at age 25 to Canada to do a master's degree mm -hmm. uh, which truly inspired me came back to Australia went into... <laughs> so, no, sorry was, was that cynicism or what? No it was. Oh it was okay. It was my first trip overseas actually. Yeah. And, so the um, trip inspired you not the master's degree? Yes I think you got that got it right there Carson um, but I was inspired by it. just living in a different country and being intellectually challenged I guess was really a fascinating year for me. Came back and uh, went into head office of the education department in Western Australia yeah. where um, I joined a branch called Teacher Development Branch which was involved in providing professional development for uh, school administrators, principals and deputies. Mm. And that was the first real inspiration for me. I saw – I was working with a bunch of guys, they were blokes, who uh, were really good at their craft, at working with principals and deputy principals of schools mm. – providing these fascinating professional development programs, which right. just fascinated me. Right. What was it that actually fascinated you out of the professional development program? What was really uh, Their craft and their content. They okay. had really good content and it wasn't delivered. In What's the, an example of the, some of the content, though? Look? Oh, it was just new angles on leadership and they were exploring communication patterns, for example, and had creative ways to do that. They ran simulations as part of these professional development programs and mm. it was just really um, intriguing. It was... Uh, a very big contrast to my university studies uh, the years prior, right. um, which is just, you know, lecture at people. Mm. Yeah. And um, I, I saw laughter, lots of laughter in these sessions. So I quickly discovered that we could have fun and learn useful, relevant, practical content at the same time. What was it then that took you out of that face-to-face -face classroom and into working with companies and businesses and about getting them to look at their culture? Well, I was inspired by these gentlemen and um, after, after spending five years in head office of the education department, um, met a guy who had similar ideas to me and um, we quit. And, um, <laughs> As you do. Yeah, well, <laughs> who led who? Yeah. Um, I, it was a bit of joint pushing. Yeah. Right. And um, it was a scary prospect because we were going from a guaranteed fortnightly salary for the rest of our lives mm. 
to uh, nothing. And so, when was this? What part, what what years was this? Um, that was in around eighty nine. Okay. So yeah, I was mid thirties. Did, did you have a first client lined up to to soften that blow? No. Oh, well, while working full time, we're exploring opportunities. Right. And found some uh, options through that way, but it was sleepless nights. You know, mm. when you leave that security. So uh, I took the plunge, and I just asked myself. If I don't do this, will I live to regret it? And there was only one answer to that, so mm. I pulled the pin. G- given that your focus is on culture of, of businesses, was it your decision to leave, was that very much influenced by the culture of where you were or the pull of the unknown? Well, it was a bit of both. I, I actually, um, when I made the decision to leave, that was well and truly before I quit. So I used right. that time. <laughs> it's a common – a lot of people are nodding yes. their head listening to this podcast. Yes. Yes. Did you see life differently each time you then turn up to work? Well, I, I actually saw people in the workplace getting negative and cynical in my time there and I decided consciously I wasn't going to do that. Mm. I wasn't going to allow the organisation to do that to me and I used it as a learning um, pl- platform. I, I learned as much as I could and I focused on the culture and um, – just stored it in the back of my mind. I didn't know how I was going to use it. Uh, although having said that, uh, during the time I was in head office, uh, I was asked to run a series of um, – to facilitate a series of sessions for school administrators in a region near Perth. And being young and bulletproof, I said, of course, I can do those mm. without even knowing what the content of these was. And I discovered when I was planning for the next one that uh, one of the content areas they'd chosen was culture. So I went back to the books that I'd studied when I did my master's degree right. and quickly realised that this stuff was esoteric, philosophical, academic, had no practical relevance mm-hmm. whatsoever. So it was in that context, in preparing for this session which I was going to facilitate, that I created the concept of UGRs and mm. I reflected on the unwritten grand rules that I'd encountered as a teacher mm. uh, at, at a school. And that's when you named it. Did you actually verbalise UGRs I, I then? I actually named it UGRs. Yeah, straight and, up. So, straight yeah. up. And um, when I presented it in a fairly rudimentary way, by the way, because it was the first time I'd ever presented it, right. I actually knew I was under something mm. because I got almost a physical reaction from the audience. Some people <laughs> leant forward with great intrigue and others almost physically turned their back on me because it was too confronting for yeah, them. Right, 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 right. And by virtue of that alone, I, I thought, I'm, I'm actually onto something here because I'd never heard it talked about before in that way. Yeah. Let's stay in the school environment before we take it broader. Does the principal very much lay down the culture or is it more than just the, the man or woman at top that sets the culture? Look, I think it's without doubt that leaders have a real strong uh, role in creating and sustaining the existing culture. Mm. And um, one example that comes to mind in a school context is when I fronted up at the first day at my new school because I taught in three different schools in a five-year period. Mm -hmm. And um, I sat in a chair in the staff room during one of the breaks and got strange looks from mm. every other staff member mm. who was in the room, which was why you're sitting in that chair. Yes. Oh, right. There you, you know, know whose chair that is. It was the principal's <laughs> chair. <laughs> right, you know? Now, right. this wasn't verbalised. Everyone yeah. knew it yeah. except for the new people. Yeah. So in a school, yes, the principal – I mean, that applies to car parks. You know, why are you parking there when that's the principal's car park? No labels, no signs there. But, but that chair example pretty much is a perfect example of UGRs, which obviously we'll get into shortly. 100%. Yeah. Is it as simple as, as when you go to a, a staff room and you see the cups have names on it? <laughs> is that a clear indicator of the culture that you've walked into? 
Well, let's put it this way. Whenever I go into a company now and I'm invited into their tea room to have a coffee, mm. I will always ask the question, are these community mugs or are they, are they owned by people? And, and so where is it laying at the moment? Is it 50-50 or are there more <laughs> uh, community? 50-50. Uh, is that um, right? And when it's 50-50, the peop- when, it, when they are owned, the person will say, I'll find a mug for you. Okay. Because don't you dare take the wrong mug. I mean, is it's it, incredible. So let's just, sorry, cousin, let's just stay on this mug idea. What does that then tell you? What, what, does that, uh, what path does that take you down, whether it's a community mug place or an own your own? Well, I'd need to see more, but the risk is that that is a personal ownership, UGR, which says uh, protect your own. And that you know, must pervade, that pervades the, the business. Well, I think there's a risk of that, yeah. absolutely. Sorry, cousin. <laughs> oh, no, well, no, it's just um, I always like a T-shirt idea. There's probably a T-shirt in there, this is my mug and not yours, back off. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the merchandise line for UGRs, Steve. <laughs> you could sell it at your next workshop, well, I hadn't Steve. thought of that one. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. So today you're spending time uh, on the speaking circuit that we'll get to, but you're also working with companies about – is it about unpacking and putting a spotlight on their culture so they can then own it or change it? Well, it's that and more because I think – in the first instance, we need to create a business case for culture. Uh, I think it's true that culture is talked about a great deal nowadays, more so than it probably ever has. But I suspect, no, I think I know that many leaders talk culture a lot but don't really know that much about what they're talking about because no. there is not the business case for culture. And there's a risk that leaders see culture as the soft, flowery stuff that sits out to the side, which gets in the road of our real work. Mm. And when you say business case, do you mean actually the research and data to actually back up what you say and what you purport? Yeah, look, I think it's fair enough that leaders demand the business case for culture and we've got the perfect and, question and for there it. And there isn't a business well, case like it out there it's, now? It's not too accessible. You have to dig for it right. other than the work that we've done because we did some research And this is the question I will quote to leaders um, and I'll share the outcomes from our research where we asked this question and I think it's a really interesting question. We said, if the culture of your workplace was to become as good as it realistically could, how much improvement would there be on people's performance slash productivity? And we did research into that and the results are fascinating. But before I share the research, I will say when I'm sharing this face-to-face with leadership teams, you put a percentage on it. And I'll reinforce that zero is a legitimate answer. You might think the culture now, realistically, is as good as it's going to get. So zero is legitimate. In our research, we gave a sliding scale, zero, 10, 20, up to 100, and then 100% plus. And almost without exception, when I ask this face-to-face of leadership teams, the average will come out at around 40 to 50%. I mean, and that is staggering, mm. 40 to 50%. And I'll say to people, are you serious? And they'll go, yeah. And I'll say, well, let's presume you've been wildly over-optimistic. Harvard, would you take it? Yeah. And, of course, they say yes. And I say, well, where else would you gain that sort of performance improvement? Um, mm. Nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's the business case for culture. So just on the research, because I know some of the listeners might be going, well, what was this research? Just talk about it. Because it was quite an extensive – in the early days, it was quite an extensive research project you undertook, didn't you, from memory? Well, we've done a, undertaken a, a lot of different research. Right, so yeah. that's one element of our research. We also – had two universities fund world first research into UGRs. Mm-hmm. And that was where we unearthed our strategy to um, uncover the prevailing UGRs. We got people anonymously, we had five companies involved, we got people anonymously to complete the sentence to what we now call lead in sentences. 
So in our research, we've got people to complete this sentence while thinking about the way we do things around here. We've got people to complete the sentence, around here, customers are. Now, would you like to predict some of the responses? Everything. We got, <laughs> we got some of that, but not all. Ah. Customers yep. are a pain in the ass. Yep. Literally, you've been reading my notes. We got that. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> we literally got that. We got one person wrote an interruption to my working day. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> what, what, what is? What was the most frequent? Uh, the most frequent were less than positive. Those negatively wow. oriented ones were, wow. were most frequent, and we were gobsmacked because each of these companies had wonderful documentation proclaiming their commitment to customer service. What a load mm. of rubbish! If they're the prevailing UTRs. Absolutely. Well, there's another T-shirt. If, if, if customers weren't in our business, it would be a great business. <laughs> That's right. Can culture change from the bottom up? If, if, if I'm in a workplace and I'm really frustrated and I recognise these UGRs, is the onus on me to change it or do I have to just you know, express it and move on or, or what? Look, um, leaders uh, can change what they have influence and control over. Leaders, no, leaders, leaders can, but I'm way down the pecking order. Ah. Well, that, that's when it gets more difficult. You can give your leaders access to information about UTRs. We argue that sometimes leaders are creating less than positive UTRs but doing so unconsciously. Mm. So um, I think it's seldom that it's deliberate. So one of the possibilities is that we give leaders exposure to the concept of UGRs and then they realise the consequences of their actions mm. and we'll set about changing. You know, um, It's few people who come to work every day saying, how can I make this place worse? You know, <laughs> the, the prevailing UGRs are just a function of history and the collection of personalities. And there's, in most cases, not been a genuine strategic focus on the culture. Staff can be lucky or they can be unlucky. And without strategically managing the culture, that's as good as it gets. You're either lucky or you're unlucky. And they can be changed very, very quickly. I worked with, for eight years with Kmart. I don't know if you realise, but Kmart had literally lost money for 10 years in a row. Mm. Literally. They bring in a new leadership team headed up by Guy Russo, the best leader I've ever met, who happened to love UGRs. They, um, they used UGRs as the vehicle to understand and improve the culture across Kmart. Now, it wasn't only their culture that they changed. They changed other things as well, obviously. And look at that organisation now. I mean, it's making half a billion dollars profit now. It's Australia's leading retailer. That happened within the space of 12 months. Right. And equally, you get a, an ordinary leader come into an organisation and it can go downhill mm. very, very quickly. But, but again, that points out what you said earlier. It was driven by uh, the top guy, Russo. Yeah. And what are the signs that you know that you're in a really healthy space? Well, the true test of a good culture, in my view, is very, very simple. It is what is the alignment between the stated aspirational culture, normally articulated as values, mm -hmm. and the real UGRs. Now, right. when those are closely aligned, we've got a great culture. Right. But and that's measurable. 100%. Yeah. We can find out what the UGRs are. In fact, since our initial research with the universities, what we do is we craft lead-in sentences linked to the kind of culture that the organisation is fighting for. Now, if that's articulated as values, we'll craft lead-in sentences linked to those values. I'll give you an example. It's not uncommon for a company to have as a value respect. Mm. So how would your I've seen the posters. <laughs> we all have. Mm. How would people complete this sentence? Around here people are treated. If safety is a value or a cultural attribute we're fighting for, how would people complete this sentence? Around here when an unsafe act occurs. 
So that's part of the work we do with companies. Mm. We actually find out what the UTRs are in relation to the aspirational culture, which may or may not be articulated as values. There's a golden question we ask, and it's this. What are the key cultural attributes we need in place for us to truly be successful and to make this a great place to work? Or put more simply, what does our culture need to look and feel like for us to truly be successful and to make a great place to work? We need to have a shared ownership of that aspirational culture. Right. Uh, let's move the conversation to you, Steve Simpson, and that time when you moved from, you know, around a boardroom or, you know, as a one-on-one consultant into the performing stage and now speaking to hundreds if not thousands. Tell us about that transition. I was doing a lot of um, workshops on UGRs and uh, as a consequence, of, a consequence of that, got invited to speak at conferences and found out that I loved it. I, mm. I genuinely loved it. So, and that yeah. you were good at it. Well... If you do it enough. <laughs> and, and if you kind of walk and talk and believe in what you're saying too, which obviously you do, Steve. Well, yeah, and I, look, and people have got to have fun in the process. I mean, I think how many of us have been to conference presentations that you're just looking at your watch thinking how much longer is this thing going to go for mm. because it's death by PowerPoint, boring and, you know, just not inspiring at all. So I've seen too many of those never to want it to be seen as being one of those. Right. So I think it's – and I, I truly believe anyway, um, because I studied some adult learning principles, that having fun in the process helps learning. So it's got to be fun. My content of UGRs potentially could be very confronting. So I lighten it up a lot um, and get people excited for the prospects because um, I think it's a genuinely exciting opportunity where we can get people excited for the prospects of their culture. Now, that sounds weird, but mm. I, I've, seen, I've done it enough to know that we can truly do this. It happened at Kmart, for example. We got people who were previously in a toxic, negative, um, disruptive organi- uh, culture to really want to protect it and be proud of the dynamic, positive culture mm. they had. And that's genuinely exciting. And to be part of that as a leader, is even more exciting. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Your website, steve-simpson.com.au, is really extensive and you you have a number of different presentations that you offer, creating a safety culture, creating a service revolution, in the driver's seat, leading culture change. So obviously you can package your learnings to different audiences. Uh, Well, I've recently got back from the US where I spoke at a helicopter safety conference. Can you believe it? I can. (laughs) 450 delegates international at a helicopter safety conference. Did someone say, duck when you go near it? (laughs) Was that raised? Because I think that's a good tip. (laughs) What I did there is talk about the UGRs impacting on safety. Yeah. So UGRs independent everything. Yeah. Um, In fact, I arrived at UGRs um, through a customer service angle to start off with. And I spoke, for example, at the World Conference on Customer Service Management in the US where I talked about how UGRs can impact on customer service. So there's lots of angles that we can mm. tackle this. And the surprising thing for me, and I got again got this feedback from this US conference I've just spoken at, is that this is an angle that's never been talked about mm. in the past. I mean, this, this conference has been going in the US, this helicopter safety conference, for more than 10 years. Right. And I got a lot of feedback saying that they've never 
approach safety from this particular angle. Well, so, that's yeah. great. I know when uh, in my previous world, when I was selling you as a speaker out to the to the masses, I used to get excited just telling people on the on the phone because people would ring up and say, "Look, I want a customer service speaker," and I'd say, "Well, that's great, but have you considered this?" And then I would I would talk to them about you and the UGRs, and straight away you could you heard the reaction on the phone with the. Mm. Um, with the, with the coin, and um, yeah, it was great. What I think you've done so well is unearthed or thrown a light on something that we all know and feel and touch and experience, but haven't been able to articulate. And you've found a way of really getting us to focus on the way we work. You can't argue with UGRs because mm. it's, it talks reality. And I say to people, the great test for UGRs is the new employee. The new employee, when they start, will go to an induction orientation. They'll get told, this is the way we do things around here. Mm. And then they go and find out the truth. <laughs> right, um, and they mostly unconsciously will look for cues and clues to work out what the UGRs are. Yeah, and they even fall yeah, into even line. if they don't know that they're doing it, I imagine you've got a package that you give to uh, HR people within companies about hiring new people. Well, what I say to people is that as new employees will normally be quieter than what they otherwise would be. Yeah, why? Because they're checking out the UGRs. Yeah, they're just why in order that they can conform. Right. That's the power of UGRs. It's extraordinary. Fantastic. And I mentioned your website. There's a number of articles too that you've written or have been written about your work that people can um, can access with attribution, of course. Uh, fantastic. And then the books you've you've uh, written in world as well, A Culture Turned that you co-authored with uh, Steph Duplessis, um, UGR's World Survey, Opening a Window into Cultures Worldwide. Is there a particularly Australian culture? Well, I, I think there are national and regional cultures. Right. Uh, so, for example, um, I've done a bit of work in Asia. There are UGRs in Asian countries where there's less of a propensity to challenge leadership, for example. Mm. Um, so I think... Unless it's Hong Kong. Well, yeah, well exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think there are subtle, in some cases, but distinct UGRs that go with certain societies. And what's the Australian one? Well, there's one of openness, I think, right. and talking directly. Not being intimidated by authority? Yeah, less so than other yeah. than, than Asia, for, mm. for sure. Thanks, Steve. Just to repeat, I think what you're doing is fantastic in bringing to our attention the way we work in the workplace. And if we can understand it better, then hopefully that'll soften out the bumps of friction that might happen from time to time. I look forward to seeing you in flight at a presentation soon. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Carson. Thanks, Steve. If you want to learn more about UGRs, please visit steve-simpson.com.au. There's a whole lot of great content and articles, as Michael mentioned. You've been listening to our next guest is brought to you by Carson White from Leading Voice and MC Michael Pope. You can hear all our guests on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break. Listener.